Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome everybody to the DOGS program, D-O-G-S. We are the Defenders of Government Schools. We're here on a Saturday at 12 o'clock, pretty much for decades and decades and decades because we need to defend government schools because they are at the moment in a parlous state. Um, Today we'll be discussing exactly what's going on in the federal sphere. We'll be shipping over to the US to talk about their ideas about private and public education. And, of course, we'll have our great State School of the Week, as always. And thanks very much to listeners who are calling in recommending schools. It's a wonderful thing to have, because great State Schools are a wonderful thing to have, and we most certainly still do. But um, anyone who hasn't been under a rock has started to realise that it's a terrible thing to say. I don't want to say this, but I have to. Um, the Catholic bishops of Australia are playing politics with the education of State School students in Australia. It's ridiculous that I, that I can say that and it's meaningful and, uh, and, and, and I'm, no one can shoot me down because that's exactly what they're doing. It also turns out that the Independent Schools Network of Australia are also uh, playing, playing with the education of state school kids because the Catholic bishops and the independent schools are having a great big fight. In terms of the Australian context, um, for those people who haven't been listening to this program or haven't been in Australia for a while, uh, we have three education systems in Australia. Two of those education systems are private. Um, that is to say that they can kick out who they like. They are exempt from the anti-discrimination laws of this country. They can employ on religious principles. And, of course, these private education systems, both of them are government-funded, dollar-for-dollar government-funded. Um, one of them is run exclusively by one particular religious sect, which is, in fact, the Catholic Church. And the monies that ta- taxpayers give to the Catholic Church um, are controlled by the Catholic Church and given to fund Catholic schools in Australia, which is, in Australia, strangely enough, secular country that we're supposed to be, is almost a third of the population uh, go to... No, sorry, I'll take that back. Almost a quarter of the population go to schools run by Catholic bishops. Um, through their education offices. Um, there's also an independent school sector, which in the, in the Australian context sort of puts together all of the other denominations. And when I say denominations, I mean you have all of the Protestant denominations, you have people who follow the Islamic faith, they have their schools which are funded by the government as well, you have the Scientologists, you have the exclusive brethren, you have anyone who sees themselves or is seen as a religion can set up a school in Australia and it can be funded by the government. All of that mob get together and they call themselves the independent school sector. Um, independent is probably a very bad word to describe what they are because they would not survive independent of taxpayers' money. Anyway, the independent school sector um, want more money from the government to fund their schools and the Catholic school sector want more money to fund their schools. And now they're fighting each other because they think, the Catholics, that is to say, the Catholics think the independent schools are getting too much money And the independent schools think the Catholics are getting too much money. The trouble is, and it's just weird that I have to talk about this, the vast majority of Australians aren't educated in either. (laughs) The vast majority of Australians are educated in the state school system, which, by the way, does not require exemptions from the law to enrol its students. The values of the state school system are that it is free, secular and universal, open to all. Now, these kids, no one's talking about them. (laughs) 
Uh, no one's talking about the amount of money that they need, which, of course, is some very substantial because the money that's supposed to be going to the state school system, of course, is not. Taxpayers' money is going to, to these two private school systems that are fighting each other. Now, why do I have this lengthy explanation as to what's going on? Because the fight between the Catholic bishops and all the other denominations put together has now reached fever pitch, and they are in election mode. They are telling the politicians what to do, and the politicians are going, what, what, excuse me, says Mr Turnbull, um, who, who am I supposed to be bullied by? Is it the Catholics or is it the independents? I don't even know, and it's all rather confusing for the poor, poor, poor politicians of Australia. And Jean, of course, has written a press release about this, which I reckon is definitely worth listening to. Um, after we've pulled this, this, this ridiculous rent-seeking fight apart, as, as a friend of mine said, it's, it's, it's one group of rent-seekers fighting another group of rent-seekers for the other group's rent. <laughs> um, none of it has anything to do with the education of the vast majority of the children of Australia, because the vast majority of the children of Australia aren't wanted by either of these education systems. The independent school system don't want to educate everybody. Oh, no. The Catholic school system don't want to educate everybody. That's not their job. No, there's only one system that does that, and that's the state school system. Then we'll be travelling over to the United States to find out what's going on in our ever-increasing ever investigations of what's going on in America. But, of course, we'll always finish on a good note, and we'll be highlighting our great state school of the week. But before we go any further, we'll have a quick break, and after that we'll have Jean's press release. Jean, what press release number is it? Uh, seven... Five, eight. 758 press releases. You're about to hear the 758th after this. Come along to the Ruby Hunter Foundation Benefit Concert at the Toad Hotel on Saturday the 4th of August at 8pm. Featuring a deadly lineup including The Bits, Dave Arden and the Cucamata Band, Carol Carpany, Will Coyote, Clusterfunk, and the Seabirds, alongside mystery band The Public Opinion Six. We provide culture for the future. Saturday, 4th of August, Toad Hotel, 8 pm, a Ruby Hunter Foundation benefit concert, a 3CR supporter. Hey, what are you doing for National Science Week this year, Stu? Well, one thing I was going to do was go to the Lost in Science Trivia at the Birmingham on Monday the 13th of August. What time is that on again? It starts at 7.30, but get there at 6.30 so you get a good night of trivia and fun. See our Facebook page for more information. Good afternoon, listeners. Uh, Catholic education electioneering spurs a backlash. Dogs press release 758 at www.adogs.info. Since the 1960s, the political tactics of the Catholic education lobby have changed little. What are these tactics? It's a very interesting formula. Worth listening to. Back the winner in a close context, then claim the Catholic vote made all the difference. This was the way the DLP worked in the 1950s and 60s, until the dogs, that's us, entered the political scene and voting went the other way. This is also what has happened in the recent Longman and Batman by-elections. The Catholic education authorities assessed which party was likely to win, then entered these by-elections in the final week. In Batman, the Greens had blown themselves apart in wrangling and the Labor candidate was set to win when the Catholic Education Office of Victoria entered the race with robocalls. Labor won and bingo! The Catholic vote made all the difference. In Longman, 
Labour held Longman, but polls showed it on a knife edge, with one nation's preferences likely to be key in deciding the result. The Liberal candidate told a fib about a service medal, and some one nation preferences fled to Labour. Then Catholic authorities made a last-ditch intervention in the Longman by-election, telling Catholic parents their schools would get another $250 million under Labor. Labor won, and bingo! The Catholic vote made the difference. The Catholic education officers and the archbishops want the special deals provided Catholic schools since the introduction of state aid in the 1960s to continue. They want an open door into the public treasury with no strings attached. They want financial entanglement of church and state, but they talk separation of church and state when it comes to accountability. Forget any pretense at a needs policy. Catholic schools have been arguing against the coalition's school funding policy after it was changed to a needs-based model where funding was taken from richer schools and moved to poorer ones. They have always favoured rich schools over poorer ones, even in their own sector. Forget the fact that public money is being used by the Catholic sector to interfere in the democratic political process. Forget the plain fact that many schools are overfunded. Many Catholic schools are overfunded. Yes, they get more funding than their entitlement and there is minimal accountability. Forget the fact that Australia does not need Gonski 2.0 It needs a Royal Commission into the rorting of public funds by the private education sector. Dogs believe the antics of the banks and the financial sector pale before those of the private education sector. Birmingham was starting to realise his unenviable position and trying to do something about it. Yet, once again, This political tactic has worked. Or has it? Prime Minister Turnbull has taken over negotiations with the archbishops, bishops and Catholic bureaucrats from Education Minister Birmingham, who, to give him credit, was doing something. And just as an aside, dogs are fascinated that the archbishops and bishops come into the Act at this crucial point, because In their court case back in 1979, in 26 days in the court, the Catholic bishops and the Catholic bureaucrats tried for 26 days to prove that church schools were not church schools. They were not religious schools and the bishops really had very little to do with them. But as soon as there's real money in the question the bishops and the archbishops suddenly get very political indeed. Well, Paul Birmingham was showing the awareness, as I said, because he'd woken up that he should be taking his ministerial responsibility seriously. People were asking and were actually providing figures that indicated there was an orgy in stables and the Auditor-Generals themselves, federal and state, were making noises. But as the Australian newspaper gives coverage to the Catholic sector, entering negotiations for its special deals, the non-Catholic private sector have woken up. They might get left behind again. But you discover what is happening in the non-Catholic sector, not from the Murdoch, but from the Fairfax Press. So one wonders, dear listeners, what happens when Channel 9 takes over Fairfax. But for the moment, we are finding these things out. On the 31st of July 2018, David Crow of The Age informs us that a school funding war has erupted and his article got into The Age, I think, of the 1st of August. 
Groups representing 650 private schools across three states have fired off a blistering letter to Mr Turnbull demanding an urgent meeting to ensure he does not strike a special deal with Catholic schools that give them an unfair advantage over the non-Catholic schools. And the families of the non-Catholic schools, I'm not calling them Protestant schools, you notice, because I really don't think these people are Protestant schools. Protestants believe in separation of church and state. These people don't. They want, pri- they want public money for private purposes. Now, these families that send their, school, their children to these particular schools are being warned of another damaging funding war over education that could lift their fees and, their, and close services. And so in a new challenge to the Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull, they want to rule out a deal that could cost them a billion dollars over a decade. So this is what uh, David Crow tells us. We're told that parents would react with dismay and anger if the government gave it in to a political campaign by Catholic schools to extract a special deal. And Michelle Green from the independent school sector in Victoria uh, and the schools of South Australia, uh, represented by Carolyn Granskowns, say that we support more funding. Listen to this. Robert, listen to this. We support more funding for all schools, they say, regardless of sector, as long as there is a level playing field. (laughs) Dear listeners, the only way you can have a level playing field is to open all schools to all children, regardless of their background or their ability to pay. So the dogs find this statement by uh, Michelle Green and Carolyn Granskelms fascinating. They say that the Catholic campaign has used the rhetorical stereotypes of class warfare and impugned the integrity of the staff in independent schools and published hit lists of selected independent schools. The Catholic sector are attacking them and they're not happy. It would be a backward step if, as a result of this political pressure, they say, we return to the funding wars in which the stereotypes of class warfare and hit lists re-emerge in practical form. Well, the dogs think they should all be on a hit list. We should take them over. That's our position. Because they have really made such a terrible mess of education in Australia. Now, the move by these non-Catholic schools counters a growing assertiveness from Catholic school authorities in the wake of the by-elections that we've been talking about. Uh, For example, they're concerned that the principals at three Catholic schools in Longman emailed their parents on the eve of the by-election and wanted to influence their votes. By the way, dear listeners, there's no real evidence that they did. The email to the Catholic school parents had, as we've already said, told them that Labor was offering more money, so they should vote Labor. And the Catholic school authorities are using a meeting with the Education Minister Simon Birmingham last Tuesday to press for a resolution within weeks with a revised formula to increase their funding. So these people are not happy. The growing dispute centres on a review of the school resourcing funding model by the company director, Michael Cheney, and others, which set out the framework for an attempted compromise with the Catholic schools. Fairfax Media understands that the private independent school sector fears that it could lose $1 billion. Well, they're worried about $1 billion. The state schools are, were, are worried about a lot more than that. But here we have this stoush between the Catholics and the non-Catholics. The people who send their children to public schools, supporters of public schools, really don't give a hoot about Catholic and non-Catholics because 
that we feel that they are undemocratic, selfish, privileged, private sector people gouging public funds out of an ever-shrinking treasury. And as their screaming representatives clash with the Catholic authorities, exploding with fears of falling into a new class of losers, there is no mention, really, excepting just in a throwaway line, we should all get more funding. It should all be sector blind. No mention of the public, of the vast majority of the Australian children who are enrolled in the public, inclusive, non-sectarian schools throughout the nation. Now, Fairfax has provided some very interesting figures. Here they are. There are 1,730 Catholic schools educating around 760,000 students across the country. There are 1,061 non-Catholic schools educating 604,000 students in Australia. But there are 6,639 public schools with 2.52 million students educating students across our country. Eventually, Fairfax Media went to a public school representative, the AEC President, Karina Haythorpe, and she said that Mr Turnbull should restore $1.9 billion in funding for the public education sector rather than start talking about striking special deals with the Catholics who have provided a couple of hundred votes, really. Public schools have been victims of savage funding cuts under Gonski 2.0 and they must have their funding restored before Mr Turnbull considers any further special funding deals for private schools, she said. Well, it just may be that the public schools might learn a few lessons from the Catholics and really start getting into the uh, political scene. There are plenty of other options to vote for beside the Lib Labs, after all. And public schools, parents, represent a much bigger voting public than any private school group. Now, many of the private schools are being funded publicly up to and in many cases beyond the public funding available to the public sector. So the dogs believe it's time Australia got rid of the sectarian, inefficient, uneconomic and privileged funding of the private sector. They're already paid for. It's a disgrace that our Prime Minister, worried about a few uncertain votes, goes cap in hand to Catholic bishops, suing for peace and promising our taxes willy-nilly. A proud democratic government should tell the private sectarian sector that public money is for public schools only. He who pays the piper must not only call the tune, but be answerable for it. And dogs are not alone. On our website, we've put up two comments of the 362 on the David Crow Age article. One person says, The solution's simple. Public schools should be funded from the public purse and private schools from the private purse. And another writer points out that their children go to independent schools and he doesn't want any public money. But we'll have a break and then we have Dale who's got a very interesting article very much along the dog's lines written by Chris Bonner. Smile with my 
Yeah, my funny Valentine. That was Angela McCluskey and Triptych. Um, this is a fascinating debate, and I'm sure we're all fascinated by what Jean has to say, but um, Chris Bonner, a friend of the Dogs program, has, over the years, I have to say three or four years or so, he is a state school advocate. He's come very much to the position of the dogs, and he's written a fascinating article. Um, I, I, it's an opinion piece, actually. It's, it's no more or less than that. And I think it's worth, um, it's worth hearing it in whole because it captures, I think, in large part what a lot of Australians are feeling, not just dogs listeners. We're kind of getting sick and tired of these two rent seekers fighting for money when everyone knows the money should be going to the kids in the state schools. But um, Dale, I think, Dale, can you, can you let us know what Chris Bonner's on all about? Thanks, Rob. Yeah, the opinion piece is entitled Catholic School Funding, Here We Go Again. I have a great idea to fix the drought. Give farmers drought relief, extend it to better endowed areas with access to water and continue it long after the rain returns. The farmers I know would be horrified if this happened. But when it comes to school funding, the Catholic bishops have no such shame. Every attempt to establish needs-based funding is manipulated to appease the private school sectors and the resulting distortions become a permanent part of the school landscape. This pattern is decades old, beginning around the time needs-based school funding was undermined in the Whitlam years. In the recent two decades, both the Howard and Gillard governments went through the motions of needs-based funding while feather-bedding the non-government sector. It's on again. Following the recent by-elections, and almost before the tumult and shouting has died down, another government has lent a willing ear to the dubious school funding claims of the Catholic bishops. According to The Australian, Prime Minister Turnbull's willingness to listen has been hurried along by last week's last weekend's tilt by the bishops to influence the voters. It raises a host of questions, not least about who paid for their latest electoral foray. The enduring myth about the extra money sought by the bishops is that it is needed to make up the shortfall created by the Turnbull government's otherwise feeble Gonski 2.0 equity funding, which included attempts to reduce the impact of previous special deals. But in the eyes of the bishops, yesterday's special deals have become today's and tomorrow's fixture. There will always be winners and losers if governments are serious about equity funding. Public schools lost, and they have to wait for a decade to possibly see greater equity. The independents are going to lose, and the Catholics gain, if funding needs are calculated as they should be around parental incomes. And funding should always be adjusted, including being reduced, as the school circumstances change. Welcome to the real world. It is highly likely that the Catholic schools will get what they want. Labor threw in the towel decades ago. It is surprising that Education Minister Birmingham has held the line for as long as he has. What might complicate matters is the rapid intervention of independent school peak groups reported in the Sydney Morning Herald on August the 1st. They declared they supported more funding for all schools, regardless of sector, adding, without any hint of irony, as long as there is a level playing field. The recent Catholic campaign, they said, has used the rhetorical stereotypes of class warfare, impugned the integrity of staff in independent schools and published hit lists of selected independent schools. It would be a backward step if, as a result of this political pressure, we return to the the funding wars, in which the stereotypes of class warfare and hit lists re-emerge in practical form. Heady stuff indeed, and not a public schoolie in sight. Perhaps like me, they just love, love to watch. Amidst all this is... Amidst all this, an interesting perspective on the Catholic campaign seems to have been missed. As always, in the past the campaign has highlighted the likelihood of school fees rising and schools closing. 350 schools this time around. They only had to close schools once, Goulburn in 1962, to put the fear of God or his earthly underlings into politicians. But the context in which this all plays out has considerably changed. The financial costs to governments of Catholic school closures are nowhere near what they would have been in the past. 
In recurrent funding terms, Catholic schools in Australia are already government schools. Most are funded at well over 90% of the public funding going to government schools. Independent schools are fast catching up. Many could be closed with governments ending up financially ahead. In completing research for a recent discussion paper, I had a closer look at the relationship between the government and Catholic schools in 71 small New South Wales New South Wales towns. Funding two competing small schools in each of these towns is very expensive for governments. The recurrent funding costs for all schools was $330 million in 2016. On completing a paper merge of the schools in each town, I discovered that the recurrent cost to governments fell by 10%. Even if remotely equivalent figures could be scaled across Australia, the savings to the government of a more efficient provision of schools would be substantial. Obviously, many factors come to bear on decisions about closing schools, but perhaps those running the current Catholic campaign need to bring themselves up to date with some fiscal realities. Then again, none of this would feature in the ongoing jockeying around school funding. The actors come and go, but the script for how it will play out has been around for a long time. And that was Chris Bonner's opinion piece. Yeah, thanks very much, Doug. I think um, Jean and Chris are onto something there. We'll be back with more on the Dogs Program after these messages. The 2018 Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is on the 11th of August at the Brunswick Town Hall. Stalls, books, projects and organisations fighting for a better world, here and abroad. Come for the stalls, stay for the workshops. Topics ranging from Indigenous struggles and decolonisation, climate change, anti-racism, unions, feminism, refugees, Anarchy 101 and so much more. Interested in a stall? Email us on info at amelbournebookfair.org that's info at amelbournebookfair.org or message us on our Facebook page Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair 2018 a 3CR supporter Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Now, if you wanted to check up on Jean and, and her facts, if you like, you can oh, you can do that very simply. You can go to the website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info, where you actually see some of the comments from the public on this as well. Yeah, we're a very open and, and um, transparent organisation here at the Dogs because um, the Matters that we need to discuss here on this program, need to discuss, have to be discussed because government schools need to be defended. Um, too important for us to sort of hide in the dark but to actually do our research, which is in fact what a lot of people at the Washington Post, that famous newspaper over there in the United States, have been doing when it comes to defending public education. Now when I say defending public education, why would a newspaper or indeed people in a newspaper defend public education in the United States? Well, the answer is in three words. Betsy D. Voss, who is the Education Secretary in the United States. Um, Now, the Education Secretary in the United States has said that public schools are a dead end. So the person responsible for public schools in the United States thinks that public schools are, in fact, a dead end. And this is a this is a fundamental attack on on the idea of what a public school is. Her alternatives, of course, are to privatise a lot. If you privatise education, of course, private's always better than public in, in the neoliberal utopia. Um, then everything will be better. But the whole idea of privatising an education system is based upon a very simple premise, and it's a premise that goes like this: private schools are better than public schools. It's a simple idea. It's a simple thought. In fact, it's a thought that drives many, many parents here in Australia. I'll say it again. The simple thought is that private schools are better than public schools. Now, the simple fact of the matter is this is false. This is not true. Not just in a values or moral or sort of you know, hand-wavy kind of high school debate kind of way, but in a hard numbers and statistically proven kind of way. And Valerie Strauss wrote an article on July 26 in the Washington Post that highlights this in a very particular way. And she says, and I quote, despite evidence showing otherwise, it remains 
conventional wisdom in many parts of the education world that private schools do a better job at educating students. They are supposed to have superior standardised test scores and supposed to have superior outcomes. It's one of the claims that some supporters of what they call in the United States school choice, sounds familiar in Australia, is arguing that public should pay, the public should pay for private school education. Now, in America, they're debating whether the public should pay. In Australia, we've been doing it since 1962. Um, so, you know, you can, you can find out what happens to an education system when the public pay for private education. You get the mess that Jean and Dale have been highlighting. The only problem is, private is not better than public. Now, the University of Virginia researchers have looked at data from more than 1,000 students, found that all the advantages supposedly conferred by private education evaporate when socio-demographic characteristics are factored in. There's also no evidence found to suggest that low-income children or children enrolled in urban schools benefit more from private school enrolment than from public. The result confirms what earlier research found, but essentially important amid, an, amid, a, amid a movement at the moment in the United States to privatise all public education. This, of course, is encouraged by, as I mentioned before, Education Secretary Betsy D. Voss based in part on the faulty assumption, of course, that public schools are inferior to private ones. Now, as I mentioned before, DeVos has called, and this is the Secretary of Education, traditional public schools a dead end, and long supported the expansion of vouchers and similar programs that use public money for private and religious school education. According to the National Conference of State Legislatures, 27 states in the District of Columbia have policies allowing public money to be used for private education through school vouchers, scholarship tax credits and education saving grants. Now, This new study was conducted by Robert Pinata, who's the Dean of the University Curry School of Education and a Professor of Education and Psychology, Aria and Sari, a postdoctoral research associated, again, with the same university's advanced study for teaching and learning. Now, they say you only need to control for family income and there's no advantage. Pretty simple. When you first look without controlling for anything, the kids who go to private schools are far and away outperforming the public school kids. As soon as you control for family income and parents' education level, the difference is completely eliminated. Kids who come from homes with higher incomes and parental education achievement um, from birth, three to age five, they get more educational resources because of the family they're from and stimulation because of the family they're from and the other children just don't get this. These conditions presumably carry on through the school years. Both researchers used a longitudinal study of a large and diverse sample of children to examine the extent to which attending private schools predicts achievement and social and personal outcomes at age 15 from birth to age 15. They started with data from the National Institute of Child, Human and Human Resource Study at the Early Childhood Centre and Youth Development. This was a 10-site research project that followed children from birth to 15 with a common study protocol, including an annual interview and observations at home and school and in the neighbourhood. Now, I'm telling you this, dear listeners, because every time this sort of research pops up, everyone goes, oh, yeah, but that's not true because, you know, because research, the, the methods were flawed and stuff. If you come up with a finding that I don't like, then the methods must have been flawed. So I'm telling you about it. So if someone says, oh, this isn't right, well, you say, actually, I heard on the dogs that they did do a very thorough survey. Now, in this 15-year-long survey, this 15-year-long study, there were almost 1,500 families that became study participants with ethnicity and household income largely representative of the U.S. population, so across the population. Um, Though... When it comes to long-term studies over 15 years, you have a drop-off, and so they were left with around a bit, a bit over a 1,000. So the 1,500 that started, for one reason or another, movement, deaths, and all sorts of horrible other things, um, you, they were left with a 1,000. Now, the study examined not only academic achievement, which, of course, has been the sole factors of all evaluations of private schooling reported to date, but also students' social adjustment, attitudes, and motivations and even at-risk behaviour, all of which one assumes might be associated with private school education, given studies demonstrating schooling effects on such factors. But in short, despite the frequent and pronounced arguments in favour of the use of vouchers and other mechanisms to support enrolment in private schools as a solution for vulnerable children and families attending local and neighbourhood schools, this study found no evidence that private schools 
net effect, net effect family background, particularly income, are more effective for promoting student success. And also, the study says, in some we find no evidence for policies that would support widespread enrolment in private schools. As a group, as a solution for achievement gap associated with income, or indeed in, in the United States, associated with race. In most discussions of such gaps the edu- and educational opportunities, it is assumed that poor children attend poor quality schools and that their families, given resources and flexibility, could choose among the existing supply of private schools to select and then enrol their children in a school that is more effective and a better match for their students' needs. It is not at all clear this logic holds in the real world of a limited supply of effective schools, both public and private, and the indication that once one accounts for family background, the existing supply of heterogeneous private schools from which parents select does in fact, not result in superior education. Now, the researchers note in the study that previous research on the impact of school voucher programs cast doubt on any clear conclusions that private schools are superior in producing student performance. That is to say, there hasn't been a study yet that conclusively proves that private's better than public, and so what they're saying is that their study is reinforcing what the facts actually are rather than what Betsy DeVos wants to believe. In fact, back in 2013, a book called The Public School Advantage by Christopher Lebensky and Sarah Lebensky described the results of a look at two huge data sets of students' mathematics performance. And they found public school students outperformed private ones when adjusted, again, for demographics. The two researchers of the current study refer to this book as in part of the report when they say, and I quote, Although recent studies separating enrolment from length of attendance suggest that the longer, lower-income students remain enrolled in a private school, at least up to four years, the higher the likelihood of accruing substantial benefits. This present report finds that the length of enrolment was not associated with student outcomes once income was taken into consideration, consistent with other non-experimental works. For one-third of the sample enrolled at any time in private school, On average, these students attended private school for five to six years, which is longer than the most recent follow-up evaluations of the voucher system itself. So their data is better than what the voucher system is quoting for. Mm -hmm. Thus, even for students who remained in private school for almost half of their K-12 experience, there was no discernible association for any of the wide range of outcomes we assessed at age 15. Now, all I had to do was come to Australia. (laughs) We could have told them that once you take into account the background of a family's income in an English-speaking country, what school you go to just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter in Australia. And now, of course, with improvement, it just doesn't matter in the United States. And I'm going to say this one more time. That simple fact, the simple fact that the income of the child's parents is the most significant factor in the quality of their education is disgusting. It is inefficient. It is an ineffective use of the major resource of this country, which is, in fact, the people in it, and indeed the children in it, in the future. If that's a true thing in a country, that's a scandal. Our front pages should be Children in Australia's education going to waste. Poor children, uh, not behaving, poor children are allowed to perform badly just because they're poor. The headline shouldn't be Catholic school system at war with Protestants or independent school system screams that Catholics are are gaming the system. Well, of course, all the kids in state schools are going, what, what, can you have a little bit of money, please? Mm -hmm. Um, That's, in fact, a scandal. And now it's obviously a scandal in the United States as well. Um, we'll be back with more of the dogs after this. The Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament presents Dr Joseph Gerson on Wednesday the 15th of August at 7pm. Dr Gerson's topic is How Nuclear Annihilation Stands in the Way of World Peace. August the 15th, 7pm, Melbourne Unitarian Church, 110 Grey Street, East Melbourne. All welcome. Sponsored by IPAN Victoria, Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church, Quakers, Pax Christi, 
Spirit of Eureka and the Victorian Council of Churches. The Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament is a 3CR supporter. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State schools. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to our Great State School of the Week. It's a wonderful thing. Um, again, I'm going to do something a bit weird. The school I'm going to talk about this week doesn't actually exist yet. It did exist. Oh, my, certainly it did. In fact, I worked in this school over a number of years. It's a fascinating place. It's down in a little part of Melbourne that's a little pocket that no one quite knows about really unless they live there. A place called Bo Morris. I'm going to talk about the Bo Morris Secondary College, which was let run down really, really badly. It's one of those schools, and if you've been around Victoria and you know about the state school system, it was built in the 60s, low sort of, you know, it was it was built quickly because of the population, the baby boomers all had their kids and the whole thing kicked off. Chicken, so, chicken coops. They were, they were wonderful places in all sorts of ways, struggling through, but back in those days they were good enough. In fact, a lot of people... A lot of the leaders of today have been produced by those schools. It was let go. It was closed down because, of, oh, we don't want state schools down here. We want lots of nice private schools because Bo Morris is a very upwardly mobile place. But it was saved and money was put into it and it's about to reopen. In fact, if you go down there right now, it's all sitting there lovely and wonderful and it's about to reopen in 2019, 2018, 2019. And in fact... They had their first open night last month of the new campus. It's an extraordinary thing to have happened. The one thing the place has is it has extraordinary grounds. It is the most beautiful-looking place. It used to have lots of run-down, thing, run, run-down, um, run, run-down classrooms and such like and so forth in this gorgeous, gorgeous place to have a school. And now... They put money into it as a state school. And so I'm actually going to, even though it's been built as a public-private partnership with a private company, it has been built as a state school in Bay Morris. And it's been built because of the power of the parents. And I would actually like to thank a couple of our listeners. So Charles and Jennifer, if you're listening out there today, I'd like to thank you. This is such an interesting school. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it now, but we're going to continue with this next week because there's details about this school and how it came to be, how it came to be reborn like a phoenix from the ashes. It's an extraordinary place. But what I can tell you is that it was a great state school. When I worked there, the buildings were falling down. When I worked there, the kids, well... The kids had to survive in unheated classrooms. Half of the buildings were actually derelict, like full-on derelict. In fact, I worked in some buildings because I, I work as a consultant in various schools. I worked in some of those buildings um, to do some breakout work with the kids and there wasn't carpet on the f- all of the floor. Half of the carpet had been pulled up. There were a couple of chairs and tables. Half of the chairs and tables in some of the rooms were broken. But the teachers... The teachers loved the kids, and I mean that in a proper way, not in a you know Catholic school royal, royal commission way. They loved the process of education. They fought for their kids to give them the best, which is why one of the reasons why I, I and my friends were there having a lovely time with them, helping them out. An extraordinary school, and that's what it was. Now, the enrolments fell and fell because in a place like Bo Morris, if you've got a school that doesn't look any good, and there's a school down the road that does. And there were a number of state and private schools down the road that were doing very well. Now, those state and pro- well, the state schools down the road are now massively oversubscribed. Massively oversubscribed. They're stacking portables on top of each other. And so, therefore, there's an obvious need to have another state school, secondary college in the area. And so, Bo Morris, with pressure from the parents, pressure from the community, saved the school. And now it's looking very, very brilliant. I went down and had a look at it the other day. Thanks very much for the heads up, Charles and Jennifer. Um, but what's happening now, of course, is that the time has come for Bo Morris to rise. And I'll be talking about it again in detail next week. But- 
Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. You've put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses. Refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a Positive relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. So that's the end of the program. If you want to catch up with us on the www's, you can at www.adogs.info. www.adogs.info. But from Gene Down and myself, until next week, it's bye for now. Sir. Mm-hmm.